This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. I haven't lived full-time in the U.S. since I got on that plane in 2007. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love, unapologetic and unbothered. Free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens. Free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright, and this is Blacksit Global. I am so delighted to talk to my next guest. Rachel Heath is a poet, an artist, a wellness practitioner, and also a podcaster, I might add. She is joining me today from Costa Rica, and she'll share not only her journey, but a journey with a little bit of a twist. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, awesome. I'm so excited to talk to you. I know you have such an amazing and incredible background and such a well-rounded story because your focus, and we'll get into it, it later on about health and wellness, is so important particularly among Black people. I want to spend a lot of time digging into that. But first, I want to start with your early beginnings because you hail from South Carolina. That is correct. I am from South Carolina, born and raised. I'm not one of those cool people that was born there and then ended up somewhere else. Although I think that South Carolina has some beautiful things to offer. It's also hella problematic, (laughs) but... Yeah, I grew up in a small town right outside of the capital. My parents are both educators, so we had a very strong foundation in that regard. And they wanted their their kids to know things, you know, so we kind of had that as a foundation as well, that curiosity about the world and about ideas. And um, I had a wonderful childhood and uh, a very supportive childhood, which kind of, I think, helped to catapult me into feeling comfortable traveling the world. Oh my goodness. So as a young person, did you often dream about going to different places or as a family, did you all travel together or is your love of travel something that kind of evolved and I guess intensified as you became an adult? 
Well, I always had a curiosity about the world. As far as like travel and family was concerned, we traveled domestically. So we're from the South, so kind of up and down the Eastern seaboard. So Georgia, Florida, Washington, D.C., Maryland, all the way up to New York, because my family was a part of that Northern migration as well. So I have relatives in um, New York in that area. That was, I guess, one of the other seeds that was planted as far as like knowing what it felt like to be in a new place and to discover new things. And then I took my first trip out of the country when I was 15. Wow. Oh my gosh. And where was that? That was a part of my language studies. So I started studying Spanish in middle school. And um, this trip came up as a class trip to Cancun, um, which (laughs) wasn't quite the hedonist (laughs) fantasy that it is now. Back then, you could get into Mexico with a driver's license. I remember that well. I had my driver's license at 15. That was my ID to get in. And um, we went on a class trip and we stayed in the hotel zone and we did like different excursions and we practiced Spanish and it was a wonderful experience to do with my classmates. And, you know, we had adult chaperones around. Cancun was incredibly safe at that time. So uh, not to say that it's not now, but, you know, things change over time. That was a while ago. I won't say how many years, but a while ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, after that, I had the bug. I went back to Mexico twice after that. Trips on my own with friends. Just kept going after that. Oh, my gosh. That is so great. And it, it sounds like it gave you that first taste and then you wanted to go back. And so ultimately, when did you decide that a life abroad was really, you know, your destiny? Well, I think I was always kind of dipping my toe in. So I did a semester abroad when I did my undergrad. I spent a semester in um, Puerto Rico. After I graduated, I was working as an ESL instructor in South Carolina, working with immigrant communities there, mostly Spanish speaking, not all Mexican. (laughs) A lot of people kind of get bogged down in that. A lot of Spanish speakers. That just kind of lit that fire again to have a desire to be around different cultures and different people. Um, But what really pushed me to leave, leave was actually an election, which is kind of Mm. funny considering what we're dealing with right now. Um, Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So I had just finished a master's degree and uh, George Bush was reelected and I decided that I didn't want to live in a country where that would happen. So I found a job teaching at a private school in the Marshall Islands, and most people don't know where that is unless you're a World War II vet. They're in the middle of the Pacific, not near anything. (laughs) I packed up my house and put what I needed to put in storage at my parents' house. I took two suitcases and a backpack and went halfway around the world. And uh, I haven't lived full-time in the U.S. since I got on that plane in 2007. Oh, my gosh. That is so bold, first of all. (laughs) I love it. And so inspiring because, you know, a lot of people are reeling from not only the impact and after effects of the the general election for president, but also the lead up, right? Just understanding that 
the sentiment in the country has changed in the U.S. We've become more partisan. But, you know, to us as Black people, this is not new. We went through this with the Bush years. Honestly, that was, and I wrote about it on the blog, that really was the first time I said, hmm, I think I need to get out of the U.S., Oh, literally, you wanted to get as far away as possible. <laughs> you said, the Marshall Islands. No one's really, pretty much ever heard of it. That's where I'm going. <laughs> well, there were some other factors that were deciding factors there, but the halfway around the world part was definitely number one on the list. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So how long did you stay in the Marshall Islands? I'm one of those funny people that has basically bounced between two countries in my time outside of the U.S., and that's the Marshall Islands and Mexico. So I stayed in the Marshall Islands for that first contract for two years. I was contracted to teach at a private school there for two years, but I went back two other times. So I lived there for a total of seven years, not all concurrent. When I wasn't there, uh, I was living in Mexico. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I love it. So I know you spent your time, as you mentioned, in the Marshall Islands as an ESL teacher. Not um, ESL. I was actually oh, a, a, a middle school language arts teacher. Um, oh, I have wow. a Master of Fine Arts in Writing, and so that I finished my degree and, and went off to teach actual English. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. So mm -hmm. you taught in the Marshall Islands and then you, as you mentioned, you spent some time in Mexico. So where along your journey did you develop this deepened connection to the health and wellness aspect of where you are today? Yeah. So that actually happened in the Marshall Islands as well. Um, when I arrived, nothing really prepares you to be in that kind of a remote location. Um, when I went to the Marshalls for the first time, we were still on dial-up internet. Making calls was, international calls was very difficult and very expensive. It is incredibly remote. So the most direct flight, it's going to take you two days to get to the U.S. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so... Being in that space of, of isolation, you know, obviously I was learning about the culture and making connections with people and I was doing my job as well, but I needed an outlet and there was a woman there teaching yoga, the only person <laughs> there teaching yoga because it is that small. Um, wow. So I started going to her classes and she was actually going to be leaving the island at the end of the year and she asked me if I would take over her yoga classes. I went out on a limb and was like, sure. So she started mentoring me before the school day. So I would get up at 5 a.m. I would go to her apartment. We taught at the same school. So we lived in the same compound. And she would walk me through alignment, uh, pranayama practices, sequencing. She gave me a list of books that I needed to get and read. And she basically mentored me through the, the process. When she left, I took over her classes. So it was kind of thrown into <laughs> the fire in a way, but voluntarily. And from there, it just kind of snowballed. And I started to 
one of the things about the Marshalls is because of its location, it's not really easy to get back to the States for holidays. So I spent quite a few vacations backpacking in Southeast Asia. So I had the chance to do meditation retreats at Buddhist temples. I had the chance to just kind of be in that energy of meditation. And so that was also, I think, the catalyst for me to start to develop my love of meditation and and wellness practices. So I I would really credit that to my time in the Marshall Islands and by proxy being so close to Southeast Asia and having access there. Wow. Oh my gosh. So what does meditation and these wellness practices, what does it do for you as an individual? It's very grounding, but I think it also helps me to have perspective. One of the main goals of a Buddhist practice is detachment, which can sound very cold, but you know, the idea is that we live in a world of illusion based on these attachments that we have, and that's where our suffering comes from. So if you can learn to detach and to see past the veil of illusion, then you will suffer less (laughs) because you're not kind of embedded in these really attached feelings and, and, and behaviors, right? Part of meditation is to help you to learn how to calm the mind, be present with the now, which immediately detaches you from the past, which doesn't exist, and the future, which also doesn't exist. The only thing you have is the present moment. So meditation is a practice that grounds you in that. Um, And so being able to have that in my toolbox (laughs) has been very helpful just in being able to maintain grounding and perspective to not freak out when things aren't quite going the way you want them to. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, the only thing that is, is what is right Right. now, right? So. Uh, I love that. I love that. And it resonates with me in a lot of ways because I spent some years, I think it's only been interrupted because of the pandemic, really being into the science of mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a very, when I became involved in those teachings, that had such a profound impact on my life. And my ability to be more grounded. I can't say I'm as evolved (laughs) as you. (laughs) I aspire (laughs) to be that. But I, the reason why I wanted to sit in that part of the conversation is because I think with everything that we're inundated with in the 24-hour news cycle, in these mini computers that we carry with us 24-7, it's very easy to get sucked into the negative, to get overwhelmed in artificially or maybe not artificially construct this frenzy. And so being able to quiet your mind, being able to distill and filter out all of those other interruptions and distractions will give you the clarity to make the next move or whatever may come down your path. So that's why I feel like if more and more people were able to open their mind and be receptive to 
meditative practices to learning about, you know, deepening their spirituality and, and wellness connection that a lot of things would improve in their immediate environment. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And uh, one of the podcasts I have is is a podcast where I do short guided meditations. And part of the reason why I wanted to do that is because I want people to have access to these practices in a way that's not couched in something that feels uncomfortable for them. Because a lot of people, when they think about meditation, they immediately associated with something other or something that's, you know, against their religious practice. And really, these are mindfulness practices. And it's a way to, as you said, train your mind to be present with your now, to understand what is real. And meditation isn't about burying your head in the sand either. I mean, you know, I bang my tambourine about all of the things that I believe are important, but it comes from a perspective of understanding that that is the reality that I am creating. If a different reality serves me better, then I am able to pivot and create that reality. That mindfulness is such a powerful tool. And I think that more than anything now, it's what we need because we've kind of gotten wrapped up in this idea that this is the only reality that is possible and that the only solution that we have is to vote this person in or to make this law or to even to leave the country. A lot of folks are looking at getting out. I've been banging my tambourine for that for a while for Black folks. However, (laughs) if you don't switch your mindset, you're going to take all that crap with you when you leave. And then you're going to try and blame it on the country or this other government or, you know, the people around you when it really is you. Exactly. Thank you for saying that because I sound like, I don't even know, I'm like on a megaphone all the time in the, in the Black the Global Facebook group talking about mindset. And, you know, one of our first and at the end of every episode, I, I uh, encourage people to download the guide because one of the first things that you see in it is, It starts with you. If you don't do your work on you, everything else is geography. If you practice negative self-talk, that negative self-talk will follow you wherever you go. If you're bad with money, well, those same behaviors will repeat when you go to a new environment. And so you will say, oh, wow, this place was really expensive or whatever. Or you're bad with relationships, interpersonal relationships, all of those things. It's a lot of internal work that you have to do before you make your move abroad, your Blacksit, whatever you want to language it. For those of us that are impacted and maybe have delayed plans for their Blacksit because of the pandemic, this is still the right time to do the mental preparation and the additional planning, the tangible planning to help you in that journey. But I love the fact that you hit the nail on the head with mindset because it is such a game changer. Yeah, it is. And and I would also say that if you're coming in feeling entitled, because, you know, we as Black people, we like to think that we understand what it feels like to be a minority anywhere. But I've seen Black folks go into foreign spaces with the same entitlement as white folks. It's ugly. That's not the way that you're going to be able to integrate yourself into a community in a long-term basis. 
you know, I think that there's a lot of dismantling that has to happen on both extremes. We need to get out of the mindset that we are less than because we aren't. But to bring in that attitude of American entitlement is also problematic as well. Just really sitting down with yourself and being honest about where you're starting, where you want to be. I agree because it's also part of that entitlement that you speak of is because in the U.S. we're indoctrinated to have this belief that, you know, we're the greatest superpower and, you know, America this. And there's nothing wrong with pride in your country. But what we don't do well as a society is that we don't foster that belief in the collective and the responsibility of being a global citizen. So when we do go to other lands, we do carry with us that sense of entitlement that, oh, these roads shouldn't be like this. This wife, what do you mean they don't have broadband? You know, like all of these things because we don't have a deeper or any real understanding of other cultures, other societies, other practices, other languages. I mean, gosh, (laughs) you know, I think the way the construct of this country is, it does a disservice to its citizens on a global stage. And it's only those brave individuals like yourself that make the leap decide to take the road less traveled, literally, that's when you find, you know, that greater sense of self and your place in the world and being able to be enriched by everything that surrounds you. Yeah, absolutely. And I I also think it comes from doing your research. Like when I moved to the Marshall Islands, I wasn't under any delusion that I was going to be moving to a little United States, nor was that what I was looking for. You need to make sure that you're preparing yourself on all fronts. You mentioned language, and that's a big one when you're looking to relocate somewhere. Part of the reason why I moved to where I did in the Marshall Islands is because English is spoken there. I made every effort I could to learn the local language while I was there, but it wasn't a barrier in me being able to do my job, me being able to connect with my community, and me being able to have a full cultural experience. Don't expect people to conform to your needs. You have to make sure that you're moving into a space that you are prepared to be in fully. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So you also mentioned that you spent some time in Mexico, and I know now you're currently in Costa Rica. How did that happen? (laughs) The short version of the roundabout story. About, I want to say a year and a half ago, I finished um, a contract teaching at the the college in the Marshall Islands, and I decided that I wanted to travel full time. Um, So I took a freelance writing job that would allow me to work from wherever, packed up my things, spent, I want to say two weeks with my family, and then got on a plane and went to Spain. I was in uh, Europe for about three months. And then I went to Malaysia. And then I went to Australia. And then I went and said, hey, family, I'm still alive. (laughs) I went to, to Mexico. Then I know someone here in Costa Rica. Um, And so I came down to stay with that person for a month. And then on March 19th, Costa Rica closed down its borders due to COVID-19. And I had a decision to make. I could have taken a 
um, repatriation flight uh, to the U.S. But as I've said, I have not permanently lived in the U.S. since 2007. While I have, you know, bank accounts there and, you know, I have a mailing address and all of that, I would basically have been flopping on either parents' couch or a friend's couch or, or whatever. And the idea of doing that indefinitely just didn't make any sense. Um, so I said, you know what? I'll hang out here and see what happens. So the Costa Rican government basically extended tourist visas uh, several times over just because they also kind of had the mindset that if you don't need to go anywhere, just stay where you are. Mm, um, smart. So eventually they extended them until March of next year. So basically, if you arrived in Costa Rica after, I want to say, a December, some date in December, you basically got automatically extended until March 2021. Oh, wow. So I just said, you know what? I'm here. I'm working online. That kind of got flubbed uh, due to COVID, but, you know... I pivoted again <laughs> and um, I'm able to afford living here. I have really wonderful people around me. There's a growing community of black women in this area. So that's been really wonderful to tap into. I'm here. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Talk about being able to pivot and rebound on a dime, you know, so people wouldn't be, as nimble <laughs> you've been able to like understand your environment you know you're like okay can't do this then let me try and figure out what I can do having taken that year off to just kind of travel around kind of prepared me to be in that space to to be very flexible and fluid because I I was basically moving to some new location, like sometimes every week, sometimes every month, sometimes every three months. It got to the point where it was just like, you know, you figure it out. <laughs> um, and another advantage to being here is that I speak Spanish. So I felt comfortable being able to get around. Mind you, I'm in a touristed area, so quite a few people speak English, but having the language is incredibly helpful. I don't know that I would have been asked predisposed to stay indefinitely if I had been in Malaysia, as much as I love <laughs> um, being there. And I do have really close friends there. It's not quite the same experience when you don't have that cultural connection. So I think the stars kind of aligned for things to work out. The people that I've crossed paths with since I've been here kind of speak to that as well. So it's actually been fairly easy to make the switch. Oh my goodness. That's the beauty of being a nomad and do anything. And so along those lines, I know you have mentioned that you have two podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I tip my hat to you because I am, you know, still getting my sea legs underneath me with the one. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I want to talk a little bit about that part. Like, when and why did you decide to start a podcast in parentheses, plural. <laughs> right. So I want to preface this by saying that I am much, much more on the casual hobbyist end with my podcast. I, I grant myself a great deal of grace um, with everything <laughs> as far as that's concerned. But 
I uh, basically got cut from my job due to COVID. Um, so I needed some kind of outlet to keep me from being depressed, to be quite honest with you. I definitely try to have a positive outlook on things. And I know that I'm going to be okay, no matter what happens. But it's hard when your plans get kiboshed. Uh, I had amazing plans to spend my 40th in Bali. And I end up spending my 40th in a room over Zoom, trying to make the most of things. Then I lost my job. And it's like, crap, I, I need something. I had been wanting to do an interview series with Black women who are wellness providers for a while. And so initially, it wasn't a podcast. It was just me sitting down over Zoom with women I knew who were yoga teachers or sound healers or ministers or a friend who's a burlesque dancer and, you know, just talking about how they were creating safe spaces for us um, and the work that they do. And that kind of ended up pivoting into the podcast space just because I was doing live Zooms and inviting people, but people were saying, you know, I want to be able to listen, but I can't come. So I was like, well, you know, if I move this to a podcast platform, then you can listen whenever you want. And it's a lot more low key for me because I don't have to deal with that live element and, you know, possible hiccups and technology and things like that. So that's how the first podcast happened. <laughs> so Black Women in Wellness is in season two, and uh, it's it's been a really good project for me just to connect with Black women who do what I do and to give them, my platform is not large by any means, but to give them a space to talk about not just the work that they do, but the experiences that they have as Black women in these incredibly white spaces, which I think those are important stories to talk about. And then the other podcast is even more casual. It's a meditation podcast that, again, started as something that I was doing over a live feed. So I basically had set up a meditation room on Facebook that I was doing every Thursday because I saw that people were really having a hard time with, well, it's a pandemic and racial injustice and all of that heavy stuff that will kind of cause you to want to pull your hair out, right? So I was like, you know, what can I do to kind of help shift energy in this space. And well, I can guide people through meditation. And so that's kind of how it started. And again, it was that I really want to participate, but I can't come at this time. And I was like, well, you know, if this was a podcast, I could just record it. It's available to whoever wants to listen to it. It's really informal. It airs Thursday mornings. So on Wednesdays, I sit down, I think about how I'm feeling, and then I record it. Yeah, I've I've gotten a fair response to it. It's been really good for me just to be able to share some of my skills with people who are really needing these kinds of conversations and needing this kind of access. And it's free, you know, that's the other thing. Like, there's a lot of stuff online right now, but if you like me, (laughs) don't have a steady income right now, you have to prioritize, you know, keeping the lights on and keeping the kids fed. And that's kind of where those two things came from. Oh, my goodness. I just love how the story of how you've evolved into the podcast space is so inspiring, because you speak from the heart. 
and just recognizing for yourself that you needed to have that creative outlet. And then also the reasons why, of course, to, to make it more available. But that whole piece around even the Meditate with Ray is making that ability to tap into your inner self accessible right now in an environment where everything that we would normally quote unquote do to distract ourselves from, you know, the day to day or just to get along, you know, whether it's, you know, some people were indulging in things they didn't need to do. Right. And maybe it's over shop, you know, shopping, gambling, whatever it is to distract themselves from their level of unhappiness, let's say, all of those things are not as accessible because of the pandemic or even things that would enrich you, like being able to be around your family is that much harder. So having a safe space and that one-to-one virtual relationship to be able to come into your show and then get those nuggets. And at this time, especially, like you said, with everything that we're inundated with and that we're dealing with as a people, this has been, you know, that I could think of in my lifetime, the most challenging because it is a daily barrage and you never know when the next thing will happen I really encourage people, and I'll link to all of Rachel's information as well as her shows in the show notes of this episode, to encourage you to take a beat, to listen, and to pay attention to your mental health, because it all starts with you. If that goes, if your mind goes, everything else goes. So the more that we can feed our spirit, the more that we can nourish our mind, then we will grow our heart space and we can co-create the life that we want. And that will lead us wherever the journey may take us. So I'm inspired by you. Oh, wow. That's so nice. (laughs) I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. So thank you for that. Thank you. I mean, I, you know, I, I do what I can and I don't claim to do anything well. But I do it from a genuine place. And, and what I, I hope is that people can can get tools and resources. And, you know, the other thing for me is I seek out us. And so, you know, when I was looking for meditation podcasts for myself, I was looking for Black women. I, I appreciate what other folks do and I have them in my feed. But, you know, especially in times like these, I want to connect with my own people who come from the same context that I am. And so, you know, I feel like those those kinds of connections are really important. And the more of us that are out here using these platforms to give voice to our stories, the better. Absolutely. I could not have said it better. So, Rachel, where can people find you? Yeah. So um, you can find me on my website, therachelheath.com. Um, and if you go there, you'll see information about yoga and meditation uh, offerings that I have and also 
just some other things about me that we didn't talk about on the podcast. And Black Women in Wellness does have its own website, but I want that to be more of a community website. So I'm actually looking for anyone who's a Black woman, let me be specific about that, to contribute to the blog. I'm always looking for people to interview for the podcast, but if you go to Black Women in Wellness, you can find contact information for that there. And my contact information is at theracialheat.com. Wow. Thank you so much for this very soul-stirring episode. And I love this conversation and just being able to hold space with you today. So I am in a spirit of gratitude. Well, thank you for inviting me. This is really wonderful. And I'm always happy to talk about what it's like on the other side, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Blackseat Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blackseatglobal.com. Has this episode left you feeling inspired to begin your journey, but not quite sure where to start? Download our free guide with the top five questions you need to ask before planning your Blacksit. You can find that under the resources tab of our website. Remember, it's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright. Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.